You are listening to episode number 15 of the Fit Successful Dad podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, A few weeks ago, I aired an episode about my top five ways that I recommend people look into for making money. They're kind of my top five recommended online methods of generating income that, in general, wouldn't be so complex that you would need to take some kind of additional training or a course or anything in order to become decent at it. But then I took it to another level and I decided that it was going to be a good idea to make an episode dedicated to each one of those five methods. And some of the feedback that I got on just the top five combined podcast where I went through all five of them together uh, was very, very positive. And then when I released the first episode about my number one way that people look into making additional income for the household, uh, which was about merch by Amazon or Amazon merch, the feedback on that was even better. So people are starting to see that there's an opportunity and there's some information there that I was able to hand to them and they can and have gone and took some action on that, which is awesome. So uh, my second most recommended method for starting to generate income online in a part-time or full-time capacity is amazon.com and that is done with physical products. Amazon.com also obviously has some digital products available as well. That is a completely separate conversation and a whole separate income stream strategy. But as far as physical products, I have done that and I if you've listened to the podcast, you'll know I interview a lot of people that are in that space. And it's not just because it's a passing kind of popular opportunity. It's actually a long-term play that's been around for quite some time, longer than most people think, and will probably be around in several decades from now and still be a really, really good source of income. So this episode is dedicated to Amazon.com. And I decided that I was going to chop this one up again. So not only did I take the top five list and chop that up into five episodes, one dedicated to each method, but the Amazon.com physical products brand episode, which is this one, is too long for one episode. It's just too much. And if you've done any digging uh, throughout the internet on Amazon.com and physical products, you will know that that is just the case. So I can run through the process really quick, but I don't think you'll get a ton of value out of it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to chop this up into what I believe is going to be three episodes. So this is episode one, and what it's going to really dive into is product selection and finding a supplier. And everything else after that is going to be in either episode two or episode three or if it gets to this point, uh, episode four. Okay. So episode one, product selection and finding a supplier. So this whole process, I'm going to, I'm just going to go over it real quick. Uh, this whole process involves you finding a product, buying a product, sending that product to amazon.com and to their warehouses and making a listing so that other people can go onto amazon.com They can search for your product, 
they can buy the product. And then what happens when they buy that product with their credit card is because you sent all your inventory to Amazon, it is sitting in their warehouse and they fulfill the order for you, meaning they will physically pick the product from their warehouse shelves. They will put it in a box. They will bubble wrap it, whatever needs to be done. They'll pack it professionally. They will print the shipping label and they will ship the item to the customer. They'll handle all of that. So all of the fulfillment is taken care of. Um, if it gets returned for whatever reason, they will handle all the returns and they will handle the prepaid shipping labels. They'll handle the refund. They will do all of that. Um, it's not a free service. Amazon charges for that. And that whole process is called FBA, fulfilled by Amazon. It also allows you to create your listings and offer them as prime products. So if you've ever never used Amazon before, Amazon Prime is a service that is available to customers and they buy it at some price per year. It's usually by the year. I don't think it's by the month. And what it does is it offers, if, if a product is offered by a seller as Amazon Prime, meaning it's at the Amazon warehouse um, available for this, this service to be carried out, uh, that customer can receive the product in two days. So they get free two-day shipping if they're a Prime customer. And that's important because if your product is Prime, if it's available for Amazon Prime, if it's eligible, and your competitor does not have Amazon Prime, that their product is not Amazon Prime eligible, then a lot of customers will use that as a criteria to go with you and your product instead of your competitor and their product, simply because it's Amazon Prime. So keep that in mind. Everything is with the strategy is intended to be um, shipped to Amazon's warehouses and having them handle all the fulfillment and preferably have Amazon Prime available for all of your products. So with product selection, which is the focus of this episode, I want you to start thinking about things that you might want to sell. And you can do that a whole number of ways. You can just obviously sit there at a desk with a blank piece of paper and start thinking of things you'd like to sell, which is good. And you should do that. Uh, another way to do it is to go into Amazon.com and start searching for things that you're interested in or searching for things that you are knowledgeable about already and just start coming up with ideas. And some of the things that you should be looking for when you're looking up ideas in Amazon.com are how many reviews these products have, how many listings, how much competition, um, how many pages of results are you getting that show the exact same thing just with a different label on it or in a different color or something like that. Um, if you're noticing that you search for something and every single listing that you see looks pretty much the same and there are hundreds of listings, that's probably a good product to stay away from. And the reason for that is it's going to be so difficult to make sure that you end up on that first page. So that's a whole nother conversation and topic by itself, um, which is how you strategize where your item falls in the search results. That's called ranking. And we're not really going to get into that too much here, but it's something to be aware of. When you search for a product to try and find product ideas, uh, just be aware of what you are looking at and how many pages of results you're getting and just how saturated, I guess, that product market looks. And 
you will probably, like everybody else who's ever done this that I've ever known, uh, you will probably search for things that you think are going to be um, like a really, really good opportunity and a good uh, source of, of, of income just because it's something you know about and you personally don't know anybody that knows a lot about it. So you think you're going to be, you know, kind of going in there and doing some ninja stuff. And then you get on Amazon and you look and you see that there's 200 other sellers selling the same thing. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a heartbreaking thing to see, but it happens and that's okay. So just anyway, be aware of how many pages of results there are and how much competition there is for each item. Uh, but as you're making your list and as you're searching for products on Amazon, you should be compiling a list of things that do look like decent opportunities. And how do you know if it's a decent opportunity? Well, there's a number of ways to do that. Um, but in this case, um, I recommend not getting involved in products that are ridiculously heavy or ridiculously expensive. And the reason for that, those are great markets to get into. And there's a lot of profit margin there. And there's, there's usually a customer base for a lot of that stuff. The problem is if you're listening to this, you're probably just starting out. And if you're just starting out, adding products to your account and your, your sales uh, pages that are in that category of really, really heavy and really like when I say heavy, I mean physically heavy or very, very large. Well, that adds some complications. That adds some moving parts to this whole process. Amazon does limit how many physical products you can keep in their warehouse. And if they're very, very large products, then they limit to you. They limit you to a very, very small number. Um, so it's something to, to really consider. And also the heavier the item is and the bigger the item is, the more expensive the fees are going to be. So the, the fees are going to be higher and Amazon will take a, a larger percentage basically. So that kind of forces you to raise your prices to make sure that you have a profit margin on top of all your revenue. And, but not all products that are that size that are, you know, physically large and physically heavy cater to that. So you just need to be aware of what you're selling. And I recommend starting with something that's physically not that large and physically not that heavy. So there's been a few rules of thumb thrown around out there. Um, I'm not going to provide you with any of those, you know, like it should fit in this kind of thing, or it should be this size or the palm of your hand or whatever. It should just be something that meets Amazon's standard box dimensions and weight, which is 20 pounds or less, 18 inches or less by 14 inches or less by eight inches or less. So again, a box that is 18 by 14 by eight and less than 20 pounds. So that's considered a standard box. And if you go outside those dimensions, if you go up from that, it's considered oversized at quote unquote oversized. And that's, that incurs a separate fee. And that fee is, is, can be substantial depending on how much it weighs and how big the box is. So I do recommend uh, the first product just being something that can fit in the standard size box, 18 by 14 by eight and 20 pounds or less. Now, that being said, I would recommend going as small and light as possible for your first product. And one of the reasons is obviously you want to fit inside that, that uh, standard size box and, and standard size weight or the standard weight. Uh, but it'll reduce your fees, the lower you go in weight and the lower, um, 
dimensions you are, the smaller you are. But also, if you've never sold anything online, and if you've never sold anything on Amazon, there's a lot of moving parts to the beginning of this that are, are just, they just take some practice. And no matter what you read online or how many videos you watch, until you go through the process once, it's not going to be something that you're going to be like fluent in or, or just, you know, well-versed in. It's just going to take a little bit of practice. So to avoid overly complicating the process and adding a whole bunch of moving parts, I just recommend staying inside those dimensions. Now, we're back to product selection. So you're searching on Amazon, you're looking for something that is within those standard box dimensions that is under 20 pounds and you come up with a list. That is the best way to start. You come up with a huge list and it's okay to have a huge list. You know, I would recommend trying to get a list of, I don't know, 50, 50 to 100 things in your first week or so of research. And you're looking on amazon.com and you're searching for things that you are familiar with and you're looking for things that aren't overly saturated on amazon.com. Now, I haven't provided anything that you can use for reference on what is saturated and what's not saturated. All I have said, and this is really all you should be thinking about at this point, is looking and just seeing if it's obvious that there are page after page after page of listings of the thing that you're looking at that all look the same or nearly the same within roughly the same price point and you know with just subtle differences from one to the other you want to look to avoid those things so try to find something where there's not heavy 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 competition and try to go from there and then stay within those standard box dimensions, stay under the 20 pound weight limit. And a lot of that information you should be able to get off the listing if you aren't totally sure what it is already. Because the, um, the listing should have the weight and the dimensions of the shipped product. So you should be able to have that. So when you find a listing that is particularly interesting to you, and you can do this with every single listing if you want, but when you find one that's particularly interesting to you, you can go back to that website camelcamelcamel.com and you can uh, copy and paste the URL from Amazon into camelcamelcamel and it will give you the sales history on that particular listing. So that's useful because you can see how long the listing's been around kind of and you can also see what the sales uh, figures kind of look like and what the what the demand looks like throughout the year and if it's a seasonal thing you'll know for sure by looking at that. And so that's a really good resource. I recommend using it. And once you go to Camel, Camel, Camel and use it a couple times, you'll know exactly what its data output looks like and what you know you should be looking for when you use it and how it helps you. And it's just another analytic that just kind of helps besides looking at the Amazon listings. And the other thing that's extremely useful, and this is another free tool, is Google Trends. So if you go to Google Trends, which is really just it works just like Google uh, but it's you know it's a separate little tool that they have and you type in the type of product not the exact URL but the type of product that you're looking for on Amazon or that you're looking at on Amazon and you type that into Google Trends it will give you a plotted data set on a graph that basically just shows you what the popularity of that search term is over an extended period of time so it's good to see what is trending and what's not. Now, if you go there, you'll see a lot of things like, you know, what whatever's whatever's hot in the news. You know, that'll be kind of like the number one thing that's um, 
it'll show you like what people are searching for. You know, you don't really care about that stuff. So you're going to go into Google Trends um, and you're going to look in the for the search bar and you're going to type in the product of, you know, whatever you're looking for. In this case, oh, I don't know, um, we'll type in keyboard. You're going to type in keyboard, hit enter, and it's going to show you what the Google traffic looks like over the course of uh, some number of years uh, for that word key, that word keyboard. So um, it's it's very useful and you should absolutely, without a doubt, use that tool when you are looking for anything to sell because you need to know what the popularity of that product is and if it's in demand. If no one wants your product and you go to a supplier and you find a product, that product, and you buy a bunch of them and you put them on Amazon, the chances of them selling are like hit or miss. You never quite know. And if you don't know, or if you know for a fact that it's not a popular item, like if it's trending downwards in Google Trends, then you know for a fact that it's going to be unpopular and it's probably not going to sell. Maybe at all. You may be stuck with whatever your inventory is that you ordered. So absolutely utilize Google Trends before you get any further along in this process. So right now you have gone to amazon.com and along with that you have taken out a notebook or opened up a word file or something or an excel sheet and you've started making a list of things based on your searches and your passions and things you're interested in of things you might want to sell, physical products. And so far you are hopefully trying to target criteria where that product will fit in an 18 by 14 by 8 box or smaller and weigh less than 20 pounds. And if you're doing that, then you're doing it just right. Um, So since you've created that list, you have also taken some of those URLs, the ones that look like maybe they're not too overly saturated, the ones that look like they could actually be something you could bring to market and compete in a healthy way, uh, you've taken those URLs over to Camel, 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 and you have looked at the analytics of some of those sellers. And there's nothing really specific to look for there other than you want to look to see that it's it's got some popularity, which you know it does because it's on probably the, the front page and the, pro- the, the product field isn't overly saturated. But uh, you're over there at Camel, 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 and you're going to be able to draw that information out of it. You're also going to be able to see if there's um, like some weird spikes, um, if there's huge drop-offs. And some of that stuff is indicative of inventory selling out and not being restocked uh, for a little while. You know, that kind of thing will show in Camel, Camel, Camel. And um, it'll also show you just the sales history in general. So you can get a lot of insight there. So at this point, you've done that as well. You've looked at Camel, Camel, Camel for some of those products, maybe all of them. If you're super diligent, it, it will be all of them. And you've also gone to Google Trends and you've searched for the products of uh, the product category of some of these things that you're looking at. And you have looked and written down or recorded what the trending data looks like over time for some of these products. And if some are trending upwards, you know, maybe you put a star next to that or you highlight it or something. It, it, it signifies popularity and anything that's popular is going to have a higher chance of selling than something that's not popular. And if it's trending upwards, that means that over time, 
more people are searching for it per month and per year. And that is ideal. Um, anything that's at least flat in the trending data over time is good. Something that's trending upwards is even better because that means it's growing in popularity. And the more something grows in popularity, the more chance you have for future customers that aren't necessarily customers of that product today. So you have an opportunity to come in there and reveal a new product to the market, maybe snatch up some old customers, but also snatch up new customers that are just getting into the market for the first time. Okay, so you've created a list, you've found some products, you've found some categories and some markets, you've bounced those off of Camel, Camel, Camel by taking the URLs over there, and you've searched in Google Trends for some of these products or all of these products to see what the trends look like. That's an excellent place to start. And from there comes the sourcing component. Okay, the sourcing component is where you find a supplier to provide the product for you in order for you to take and then in turn sell on Amazon. Okay, so before I jump into explaining how to find a supplier and how to develop that relationship, let me just say that this process can be very simple at times and also it can be very, very, very complicated at times. And some people have almost made a living or an entire income on the science and art and moving parts of developing a supplier relationship specifically for online physical product sales. So I don't want that to, to scare you away or anything, but this is, this is an extremely complex or can be an extremely complex part of this whole thing. So uh, what I would recommend and what I still continue to do today when I launch a physical products brand or a physical product is when you have that product in mind or you have a number of products in mind and you're going to find a supplier, I'd recommend going over to Alibaba.com. I'm sure a lot of you have heard of it, uh, but if you haven't, that's okay. It's uh, it's Ali, A-L-I, Baba, B-A-B-A.com. So A-L-I-B-A-B-A.com. Com. And Alibaba.com is a, is a free service to use. It's essentially a search engine for suppliers all over the world. Now, a lot of those suppliers are going to be in China. A lot of them will be in Pakistan. Uh, a lot of them will be in uh, like India. I personally have never found any U.S. suppliers on Alibaba. The majority of the ones I've used have been in China or Pakistan, and that's okay. That's the whole point of this site, and the reason that we're looking at Chinese or um, or Pakistan-based suppliers is because the costs are very, very low, and even with shipping and getting all those products over here, the cost is a lot lower than finding something in the U.S. So, you know, with that being said. Uh, I recommend Alibaba. Now, there's other places to look as well. Another very, very popular sourcing website for uh, essentially it's a database just like um, just like Alibaba is called Global Sources, and I believe that is uh, just globalsources.com. Um, I've never used Global Sources, but uh, I've heard a lot of good things about it. So um, you know that's that's another option as well, and it's it's spelled just like just like it sounds, Global Sources. Com. And uh, from what I understand, it works like just, just like Alibaba. So you go in, you search, and it works like a search, search engine. So you search for the product that you're trying to make or trying to buy or trying to find. And you will, um, and this works on Alibaba like this as well, you will be presented with a list of suppliers. And usually the list is very, very long. Um, you know, it can be several pages. 
of suppliers that make things uh, just like what you described in the search bar or things that are very similar to that. So when I say it's a search engine, I mean that suppliers, when they set up their accounts in there and they pay money to be on on these websites, um, they basically use keywords to describe what their business is all about. So if you type in something like, I'm going to go with garden shovel. If you go type in garden shovel into alibaba.com, you will probably get a lot of suppliers that can produce garden shovels for you. And you will also probably get a lot of suppliers that make things that are similar, like landscaping equipment, but don't actually sell shovels. But they probably used shovel in their keyword search term, um, you know, setup of their account. So, so that's how that works. It works just like a search engine. Keywords drive everything. And and that's a good thing because you, you can end up finding ideas on Alibaba.com, searching around for things that you thought you wanted to sell, and you can end up with ideas for things that aren't what you had in mind. And that's a good thing. So at this point, you have your list and you are starting to look for suppliers and you're starting... Um, either on Alibaba.com or Global Sources. Uh, I've I personally like Alibaba. That's where I start, and that's that's uh, that's where I have spent um, all of my my time in the past finding suppliers. And when you start to find suppliers, and this is totally free to you, by the way, as far um, using Alibaba, that whole service is free. So you can search for as long as you want, and you can contact as many suppliers as you want. Um, but when you're searching, I recommend looking for suppliers that have trade assurance available and that are a gold supplier. Um, so a, a gold supplier is a supplier that paid an extra fee to Alibaba in order to get a gold star next to their name. And I believe that will continue to increment with a number next to it the more years that they've been involved in that service. So it's a way of promoting their business. But the fact that it costs them money to Alibaba in order to get that little flag, that little emblem next to their name, it suggests that they are at a different level of professionalism and probably can be taken a little bit more serious. So all the suppliers I've dealt with have been gold suppliers and have had the trade assurance service available, which is kind of insurance. I'll talk about that in a minute. And uh, I have, an, have had nothing but positive experiences. In fact, everybody I know who has gone with a gold supplier in the past throughout all the masterminds that I've been a part of and all the friends that I know that sell um, physical products online and have dealt with suppliers on Alibaba have had positive experiences. So if you start digging around the internet, you'll find, <laughs> you'll find stories and tales of people getting, getting ripped off on Alibaba. And that's probably true. A lot of it comes down to common sense. I wouldn't send a money order to buy my products and I wouldn't use a supplier that does not have a, um, a gold supplier tag on them or who just, you know, I wouldn't use a supplier that just formed yesterday and, and is up on the site. Now I like to use someone that has some reputation, um, you know, so you have an idea of what, what they're like. So anyway, when I'm searching for a supplier, almost always I will use the gold supplier filter in Alibaba and also the trade assurance filter. So uh, the more years that they've been around and the more years that they've been a gold supplier, the better, um, just because it has more history there for you to look at. But in general, you want to look for, for those two things. At a minimum, one year gold supplier and trade assurance. And so 
Um, so that's how it works. So you go in there, it's a search engine, you type in what you're looking for, garden shovel, and I would apply those filters, uh, the gold supplier and trade assurance filters. And then you're going to start getting a list of suppliers available to provide, uh, that product for you. So I went over to Alibaba and I typed in garden shovel just to, for the sake of this little experiment. And sure enough, I got a tremendous amount of hits and it's everything from individual garden shovels to, um, what looks like pickaxes to foldable, like modular shovels that you can take traveling or camping. And what you're going to see is when you click on any of these is you're going to see a price range right away and it's going to be something really inexpensive. So for example, this garden shovel kit that I'm looking at right now is, uh, it's advertised as $2 and 60 cents to $4 and 20 cents per piece with a minimum order quantity of a thousand pieces. Now Alibaba is set up for you to kind of go ahead and just proceed with the default uh, numbers that are on that screen, but they also have the ability for you to contact the supplier and kind of start negotiating a deal. And that is what you want to do. So the first, if you, let's, let's just say you found a supplier, uh, for something that you want and the supplier looks like they might be promising. And there's, there's almost always going to be more than one supplier that is going to be able to provide what you have or what you want to sell. That's, that's usually how it works. And, and you want to contact several of them in most cases. And when you establish contact with them, you want to request a sample and you want to have that sample sent out to you, um, kind of as fast as possible. It's probably going to cost you around $30 just for the shipping. And then a lot of times the sample will be free or the sample will be like really, really inexpensive, like a couple dollars or something. So, uh, if that scares you off right off the bat, you know, you don't want to pay $30 for a sample of something that may not work out, then, this might not be something that is for you. So just keep that in mind. Um, you know, before I go any further, there's, there's definitely a financial component to getting started on this that requires some capital. So you need to be aware of that. Um, I don't want that to, I don't want that to make it sound like you're going to throw a bunch of money at it and it won't work because there is a lot of opportunity here, but there is also, some upfront investment involved. Um, so I personally spent about $2,000 on my first product, getting it up and running. And that was including a couple of tools that I bought to help me build this, um, the product itself, the shipping costs, my Amazon professional, sell professional sellers account and, uh, some packaging, uh, labels, you know, a bunch of stuff. It all, it all kind of went into it including that includes the samples as well. So it was about $2,000. Now you can get started a lot less than that. Um, if you want to do kind of like one piece here, one piece there, or like 10 pieces, 10 pieces. Um, but if you want to go into an actual, you know, potential like income and event and try to build an actual income stream, um, you know, you're going to be basically building a brand and to build a brand, you need to kind of come out of the gate with enough products that people can actually, they can continue to buy for, you know, day in and day out for a couple months. Um, and that's, that's a whole different like launch strategy kind of, um, 
architecture, business architecture kind of discussion. Uh, but as far as dollars, if you are curious at this point that you're going to need to get started, it could be, it, it's going to be anywhere probably between realistically a thousand to $2,000, um, give or take, or, or maybe more if you're going for something a little bit higher priced. So, and that's one of the reasons I recommend going with a smaller, physically smaller, physically lighter and physically cheaper product, physically less expensive product is to kind of keep those upfront capital costs, uh, just a little bit, a little bit lower. Um, so back to Alibaba. So you're here, you're searching, you're going to see a, a price range and you're going to have this contact supplier button available to you. You're going to click on that. You're going to contact the supplier and you're going to introduce yourself. You're going to introduce yourself as your, your name and, and, um, you're going to introduce yourself as the, uh, kind of like the salesperson or purchasing agent or something like that of your company, of your brand. And you're going to start asking them questions. You're just going to rattle off questions. I would, I recommend numbering them and I would ask them everything under the sun. Uh, what's your minimum order quantity? What is your, um, your availability of customization on this product? What can I customize? Can I add my own logo? Uh, what kind of logo printing options do you have? What kind of color options do you have? Do you have any complementary complementary products available that I can bundle with this product? Do you have any packaging options available for this product? What kind of customization can I do on that packaging? Can I add my my label? Can I add any custom pictures? You know what kind of things can I do? And uh, you know, you're going to ask just a, a long list of questions and make sure that you're as, as specific as possible. And you're also going to ask questions about samples. So you want to ask, um, you know, what is the cost of a sample? What is the cost to ship a sample to uh, wherever you live? Let's just, in this case, I'm going to use um, Massachusetts in the United States, you know, and I provide my zip code. So what is the, what is the cost to ship this sample to uh, zip code X? in the U S um, and you, know, you want to get that sample shipped via air express, you know, that way it'll get you, get to you in a couple days and, um, and, and just keep going, ask them anything and everything that you think would be important. Uh, I would provide a list of very specific questions for you, except that I've found that all the successful people I've ever interviewed and all the successful people that I've talked to, they, they all have a different way of, of, dealing with their suppliers and talking to their suppliers and even different ways of introducing themselves to their suppliers. So I don't want to steer you in a very specific direction. I would just advise you to come up with a list of questions that you would expect someone to ask you if they were buying something from you from overseas or think about, you know, think about the reality of the situation here. You're going to, you could potentially buy 500 or a thousand of this product. What all do you want to know about it? You want to know as much as you can about this product. You want to know everything that they can possibly tell you about it and ask those questions. And if you, if you number them in your email, then uh, I've found that the really good suppliers, and most of them are, especially those gold suppliers, they will respond with an answer underneath every single one of those numbered questions. So number one, uh, right next to number one would be your question. And then they would come in with a different color text or something and respond to it with an answer to that question. 
And then number two, you'd have your question next to number two, and then they would come in and they would respond to that question with an answer and so on and so forth. And at the end of the email that you get back from your supplier, you have answers to all your questions and you probably have some additional information on top of that that they felt that was pertinent for you to know that even though you didn't ask for it. So, uh, so you're going to go through that process and you're going to go through that process probably with a handful of suppliers. I recommend getting no less than three samples before you decide to purchase a product. Um, the only time I would not do that is if you only found one supplier to produce your product, in which case it's very unique. And as long as the, um, the, the, the research and analysis is done ahead of time, that could potentially be a home run for you. Actually. Um, if you find something that not a lot of suppliers are capable of producing for you and all the data looks right, then you're in a good position. So a lot of times people will find things that they think are unique and then they go and they do a little bit more digging and they find that it's not. Um, so, um, so anyway, so back to samples. So I would recommend, uh, no less than three samples and I would have those shipped air express. And when you have those in hand, now I'm, I'm skipping huge chunks of time here. This is just the process. Um, you know, you probably pay for those samples via PayPal, and that's the most uh, widely accepted way to uh, to pay for samples that I've found anyway. And when you receive those samples, you know, really stress them out. Um, test them out by yourself. Test them out with someone you know, and stress them out with um, uh, exposure to you know if it's applicable. Exposure to uh, like sunlight or water or rain or whatever, you know, some kind of condition that is probably uh, above and beyond what it would see on a day-to-day use and just see what how they last, see how they hold up. The intent of the sample is not for you to get it and play with it and keep it and use it as, you know, your own your own product that you bought, you know, like a consumer product. The intent of the sample is for you to really see what the quality control is like and what the product can, is and is not capable of doing and is and is not capable of withstanding. So, you know, really stress them out. That's the point. And that's what they want you to do. They want you to come back and say, well, I like your product a lot, except I want you to change this. I want you to add this. I want you to sew this here. I want you to put a, I don't know, some kind of armored piece of plastic or something on this part. And that's, that's a good thing. That means that you're really uh, doing, you know, due diligence and that you're, you're going that extra mile. So, um, so, so let's say, you know, over the course of four weeks, you found, um, 10 suppliers and you went back and forth with all of them. And this is a very common scenario, by the way. And you have requested samples from at the end of the day, you've requested samples from four of them. So you got four samples coming in. So they all come in and this is all supposedly the same product just made by four different suppliers and they look slightly different. And you get these all in and you start testing them out. One of them breaks right away. So you kind of scratch that off the list and the other three are pretty comparable. And then as you go through your testing, you get it down to one that you really, really, really like. Okay. So now you're going to begin negotiation. So you want to find out exactly what the minimum order quantity is, and you want to find out exactly what the minimum order quantity is that you really want to buy. So a common MOQ number, you know, minimum order quantity is 250, 500, 750, a thousand. It's not always the case, but a lot of times they go in quantities of 250. So 
you negotiate on a minimum order quantity and a price. Now, when you're doing that, uh, I would recommend not just taking their first price that they throw out at you. I would recommend actually trying to negotiate. I would try to bring them down. Uh, but the problem is you don't want to be too, <laughs> it's a little bit of a game. You don't want to be too aggressive on having them reduce their cost because the more they reduce their cost, a lot of times they start pulling out features and they may or may not tell you about that. So just go back and forth and ask them what the lowest price is that they are available to sell at for that quantity. And if they say that that's it and that's the lowest number they can go to, say, Something along the lines of, and this this is this is just really common practice. Uh, say something like, "Okay, I will take that into consideration. Thank you." And then maybe if you're not happy with the number, maybe it is time to go to one of those other suppliers and say, "Hey, I really liked your product, except for this one feature. I want you to change this feature and send me another sample." But while you're doing that, also here are the prices that I've been given by other suppliers that don't need to add this feature. You know, be, be totally honest about that. Just say, hey, I have a supplier here that makes the product already and they do not need to add this extra feature and they can offer it at this price point. Can you beat it with adding this extra feature? And that, that again, like, is, like I said, is perfectly normal. It's perfectly common to hear that, uh, that type of scenario happening. And a lot of times the suppliers will want your business and they will add the feature. They'll send you the sample and you can check out the sample, of course, but they'll also say we can throw in that feature for free or for, you know, an extra three cents a unit or five cents a unit, you know, depending on what it is. Um, so you know, that's, that's a really a good way to go about it. And, you know, this process is something that you have to grind through and it's, it's good to grind through because you understand after you get through it, just what goes into setting up a supplier chain and, um, and where your, where your products are actually coming from. And it gives you a, a di like a different respect, different understanding of what sellers go through to get quality products in their, their, um, in their brand, you know, in their company so that they can push out into the marketplace. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the process you're going to go through. And then at the end, let's just say you, you get your samples and you negotiate with the price on one of those suppliers, either one doesn't really matter for the sake of the conversation. Uh, you're going to place your actual purchase with them. Now, if they're in China, now, if the supplier is in China, you can use the, Alibaba escrow service. And that's something you need to ask your supplier about because not all suppliers will accept escrow. Most of them will, especially if they're a gold supplier. But if they are a, um, if they accept the escrow service, the ba basically the way it works is you pay Alibaba and they will take the funds and they will route a percentage of that to the manufacturer to get the manufacturing process started. And then when the manufacturing is done, when it's complete and they send you um, pictures uh, of the final, you know, the final products being boxed up or whatever, and they will do that, then you can authorize Alibaba to release the other, uh, the remaining funds. I believe it's 30% up front, and then you can authorize them to release the other 70% when the products are complete. Uh, and that will, that will kick the ball off for uh, shipping the products over to you. So then the, the products will be shipped via whatever method you you paid for, whether it's a boat or air freight or air express. And when the products arrive, if you've had, if you have trade assurance, uh, which a lot of these suppliers will pay that extra fee to be part of, then 
trade assurance will protect you as well. So it adds another layer of security. And essentially, if the shipment is heavily delayed or if the manufactured items are not compliant with the provided quality requirements that you gave them, then you can request a refund. Now, that is kind of complicated because a lot of times the suppliers, you know, they don't want to pay to have all of that sent back um, or, you know, deal with actually physically moving the products again. So a lot of times what they'll do is they'll, they'll either manufacture you another batch for, for free or for a heavily reduced cost, or they'll just, you know, they'll refund you some money, but tell you to keep the, the non-compliant products. And th- that, that whole process can actually take, just so you know, it can take a month or two and sometimes 90 days, up to 90 days. Um, but it is there and it is there to protect you. So, and it will protect you. If you do not have trade assurance, once you, once the product is shipped and you've paid for it, there's nothing that anybody can do. So it's important to have a good, healthy relationship with your supplier, you know, as healthy as it can be at the time of the first order. And also to have trade assurance through Alibaba. Now, I don't know if there's something similar on global sources. I believe there is, but I don't know what it's called. I'm not an expert on global sources. I mean, I'm not an expert on Alibaba either. I just, I just happen to know a thing or two about it and I've used it. So just keep that in mind. Um, so at this time you have received your products and, uh, as far as the payments go, I mentioned escrow, right? Um, I'm going to dial it back a little bit here. There's other payment options available as well. Uh, the ones that I recommend, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a lot like in the situation I'm in or was in, and I recommend either PayPal if they'll accept it, but most suppliers won't if the, if the purchase is very large because they get hit with a lot of fees. Um, and then, uh, the escrow service built into Alibaba is fantastic. And then also a direct wire transfer to the supplier is great. However, I do not recommend a wire transfer for the initial purchase. So a wire transfer is not something Alibaba can protect for you. And once you send it, it's essentially gone. So there's nothing you can do to make sure that that purchase that you just made has any insurance on it whatsoever. So keep that in mind. Now, my first supplier that I used, I had a very, very good relationship with after a while. We had a lot of complications up front because they were in Pakistan. We had a lot of complications getting the escrow service up and running, which is how I found out that it actually wasn't available at the time uh, to uh, suppliers outside of China. So we learned that the hard way. Uh, But over time, what I ended up doing was I, I paid in wire transfer, but I paid in small increments. Now that's something that my supplier was willing to do for me. Now, normally they don't do that, but because we went back and forth so much and they saw kind of the struggle I was going through in order to pay for the products, they were willing to accept small payments and they shipped me the entire quantity up front, not having received full payment from me directly. I mean, that's probably a rare scenario and I I wouldn't expect that to happen ever again with any other supplier, especially on the first time basis. That's usually something that you need to have seriously good terms with your supplier in order to, to, to receive a service like that. Um, this is just a, just a rare case. Um, I won't say I got lucky. I just, 
uh, it worked out really well. The supplier was very, very uh, professional and courteous, and we went back and forth for months before we got to that point. So, you know, it almost got down to a first name basis between me and uh, the, and the the point of contact that I was dealing with. So, um, so that's how it ended up with me. But as far as wire transfer goes, you know, that's a direct linked um, and a direct transfer from your bank account. So. I would not recommend that for the first time purchase. I would recommend using trade assurance and, um, and escrow. So, you know, escrow is the payment trade assurance is the protection. I recommend using those two things through Alibaba because that will protect you and that'll be the easiest for everybody. So at this point you had, now this could take a couple months by the way, but at this point you have gone from product research to product kind of validation through Google trends and sales history research through camel 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 you have gone through supplier research you have contacted suppliers you have re uh, received samples you have tested the samples you have potentially gotten another batch of samples with improvements or enhancements built on to that original product you have discussed all aspects of packaging and sourcing nuances, minimum order quantities, um, shipping methods, labeling, um, colors, any adjustments you want to make to the product. You've discussed all that with your supplier. You've negotiated on a price. You have set up quantities for the orders. Uh, you have set up the payment option. And now the only thing left to do is to place that order with your supplier. And once you're comfortable placing that order with your supplier, you will do so. And when the products arrive, you can begin to sell them. Now, there's a couple ways you can choose uh, for shipping. I recommend for your first order, making the order quantity as small as possible, and then having that shipped air freight to you because if you follow the recommendation I threw out earlier, that product will fit in the uh, standard size Amazon box and it will be under 20 pounds. I mean, honestly, I prefer my first products to be, and I always recommend the first products for any seller to be very, very light just so you can get a feel for the process. And so, you know, having all those products shipped to you will will result in a you know a giant box or two or three showing up at your doorstep for you to inspect and then um, place the Amazon labels onto the product one at a time. And we'll talk about that. That's very simple. And then in turn, you'll go ahead and ship those off to Amazon's warehouse where they will store them for Amazon Prime shipping for their customers. So... Um, Again, this is a this is a long process, and we're coming up to almost an hour here. So, this episode was going to be dedicated to just um, product selection and supplier selection, and I'm going to leave it here for now. And I'm going to pick this up on part two of the Amazon.com physical products launch series. Um, it doesn't really have a formal name, so we'll go with that for now. <laughs> and I don't know what episode that's going to be. It's going to be coming up here in a few, but for now, uh, let's just focus on product selection and supplier selection and ordering samples. Okay. And with that guys, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, I know this has been a lot, but 
Uh, there's a lot of research you can do on top of listening to this to kind of get you kind of going in that direction. So I recommend checking out uh, all the Amazon resources you can find online and don't let any of the numbers or anything kind of scare you off. This is a very lucrative way to bring money into the household and to add an extra income stream to your current situation. And the best part is once you get the ball rolling, it is completely part-time. It does not have to be a full-time effort. If you want it to be a full-time effort, you can turn it into way more than just an income stream. You can turn it into your entire household's income stream. And I'm very serious about that. So this, you can scale this up as much as you want. Um, it just takes, you know, more time more energy, more capital, but to start off, you can get yourself in a position where you're essentially paying your mortgage off of a few hours, you know, a few hours a week of maintaining this secondary business. So that's, that's a very realistic scenario. It's a very common scenario. And, uh, it's also kind of inspiring to think that you can do that with just a little bit of extra time a week. So, uh, talk about, you know, all the advantages of approaching freedom. If you could just pick up your mortgage and move it to something that is, is relatively hands-off, you know, think about what kind of freedom that's going to bring to you, you know, financially, time-wise, and stress-wise, right? It's uh, there's a whole lot of parts to that. That's that you can a lot of a lot of advantages you can gain from that. So, um, so that's gonna that's gonna do it for this episode. On the next episode, we'll talk about what happens when your products are shipping, how you set up your listings, some of the um, some of the kind of the rules of thumb for um, getting your products uh, photographed and and making your listings look really really nice, getting into copywriting which is essentially just the, the text that you see on an Amazon listing and how to make sure that it's optimized to sell. And uh, we'll cover some of those things in the next couple episodes. And then obviously after that, pulling money from the sales and optimizing your, your in Amazon uh, tools and tactics to make sure they, they pop up as high on the early pages as possible. When I say pages, I mean pages of results you know, getting your stuff to show up on page one or page two. Uh, there's a lot of tactics behind that. We'll, we'll talk about that as well. So, okay, so that's it. So make sure that you go ahead and subscribe and leave a review in iTunes if you think that this is providing value. And then, of course, as always, share this with somebody else that you think might need to or want to hear it or would benefit from having a second income stream using physical products online. And I personally don't know anybody that wouldn't benefit from that. So the more people you share this with, the better. And as always, thank you so much for showing up and I will talk to you in the next episode. Take care.